Hello everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. Good morning, I am here with Phil Keating. This week we'll be talking to Phil about his background in austere medicine and pre-hospital medicine. And Phil was on our faculty this week teaching on the eye care course. So Phil, good morning. Good morning. How did you hear about Quorum? Uh, I think initially, all those years ago, it was I saw a copy of your field guide, and then that kind of heightened my interest, and then a bit of social media and internet searching, and eventually came across your website. That kind of led to speaking to a couple of people that had either done a course, either here or remotely, and uh, the rest is history, really. You've been popping up on social media quite a bit and, and sharing uh, quorum stuff, and it's uh, it's been helpful. Um, what's your background? What's your experience in austere medicine? Uh, so we day job is as an uh, offshore medic and a uh, commercial diving medic. Um, spent most of my time recently on uh, offshore wind farms. So during the construction phase of a wind farm, they always have a medic in the field for the construction activities. Uh, big wind farms, you can have up to six, eight hundred people, um, 60, 70 vessels. And we're kind of, as we've gotten to round four wind farms and up to kind of 90, 100 kilometers offshore. Uh, we know that the only response that we're going to get from uh, medical help is via, if it's UK, it'll be helicopters. So that's traditionally maybe 60 to 90 minutes. And as we know, that's plenty of time to die. So the idea is that if you have someone in the field that can do the mostly, therefore, kind of traumatic injuries, but as as we know in any um, Austin remote environment, you t- tend to do a lot of primary healthcare stuff as well. And because of the the wind farms are usually kind of the the nacelle, the, the box part at the top with the generator and gearbox and everything is just kind of 300, 350 feet above the seabed. Then we have to kind of have the uh, the technical rope rescue bit as well because there's no good being able to treat the casualty if you can't get to them and then recover them because by the time the helicopter comes, you want to have the casualty in a place, usually on our vessel or one of the, the smaller crew transfer vessels where they can winch directly um, from the vessel. Um, from a placement's point of view, uh, I've done lots for the uh, British Antarctic Survey, so on the, the research vessel, so the South Sandwich Islands, South Georgia, which is kind of, at, at times, you, you, you're five days away from a helicopter, so uh, you're austere and remote at its, at its finest. Uh, I did 12 years in the military and the reserves as well as at university, and the usual, um, it, was, it was kind of the Cold War was the issue then, so we spent a lot of our time around the Black Forest, funnily enough, in, in, in Germany. Uh, we were a frontline transport regiment, so doing kind of remote healthcare there. And since then, with teaching on a lot of the uh, prolonged field care course, the Wilderness First Responder course, and uh, latterly on uh, eye care and the other courses for CORO. You've been to the Antarctic? Yeah, it was... Um, for British Antarctic Survey, so I was the medic on one of the research vessels. So I had 25, 25 uh, crew and 25 of the uh, British Antarctic Survey staff who were all uh, mostly PhD students doing their kind of final research. And we spent, it was initially supposed to be a, a, a six-week tour, but I ended up doing two tours back-to-back. So we got, I had two, two separate kind of lots of scientists and a lot of their work is around the, the South Sandwich Islands. So you've kind of got Chile to your left, Australia to the right, and 
the South Sandwich Islands is in the middle. It's you know, it's a it's probably one of, if not the remotest places on the planet, and and it's just you uh, on a vessel using um, the use some quite interesting chemicals in the in in the in their research in the uh, in the on, on board laboratories, and then you've got all the kind of slips, trips, and falls. The obviously the, the concern with temperature. So it was uh, probably the best twelve weeks of my life to be paid to go there was uh, not an opportunity that many people get to. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you're even allowed to go to the, the South Sandwich Islands. Um, so to actually be paid to go there and have that experience was um, was really, really good. And it, it made it kind of, it made it better for me coming back and teaching on remote area courses when you've kind of been in that place yourself and you know that it is literally just you. Your back, my, my back-to-back dock was actually in uh, in South Africa, so thousands and thousands of miles away. But with the the, the kind of leap in technology with uh, telemedicine, um, you know, the uh, the monitor that we had had um, video ring scope, uh, remote remote ultrasound that that all transmit over over the uh, satellite. So although you are on your own, you've got um, you've got a grown up a couple of thousand miles away, but it, it did kind of still feel as though it's it's kind of it's just you. Uh, luckily, it's mostly kind of uh, primary healthcare stuff. Uh, did a little bit of dentistry, so fillings, and I hate teeth. So I ended up doing uh, two or three fillings, not on the same person, hating to add it, did work, uh, just, to, just to get them in a state where by the time they got home, because if you if you kind of five days steam away from the Falkland Islands, we can't really justify taking you back up just because you have um, one of the chef's uh, really nice puddings has pulled out one of your, your fillings. So it was uh, mostly primary healthcare stuff. Um, and I ran a, uh, a kind of healthy person's clinic we'll call it so doing uh blood pressure of a, a morning and um trying to kind of uh, challenge them with a combination of their diet and exercise to kind of see from the start of six weeks to the end of six weeks if, if they could actually change anything so that was that was kind of quite well received they also ended up doing a lot of uh first aid training for them so initially it was the crew that as part of their kind of stcw requirements they need to have a refresher every now and again uh, the ship's captain and a couple of the first officers also do the ship's captain's medical course. But as it turned out, since they'd done their course, they thankfully kind of touch wouldn't not had to see a patient, but they'd never, um, they'd only ever cannulated an orange um, <laughs> and uh, they'd never actually done it since they'd left the, the, the school several years uh, previously. So um, I had them uh, cannulate me and, uh, just let let them. Uh, we did some suturing on uh, a banana, I think it was. So just to uh, just to kind of hone their skills as well, because with the foot, with the thought in the back of my mind that if if something happens to me while I'm out there, then it's you. It's, it's me that they're going to have yeah. to be helping me. Um, the the bay, the hospital bay on the ship was uh, really well equipped. Um, it, essentially the same as you'd have in the back of any UK ambulance from kind of uh, trauma kit point of view. Also with the thought of where we were going because we were. Um, kind of below six, 60 degrees then um, there was uh, my the, the hospital was the, the only room on the entire vessel that had a bath even the skipper's room didn't have a bath <laughs> so uh, for uh, rewarming and stuff so obviously I had to test that a couple of times just to make sure it worked yeah, yeah. with the bubbles right? With absolutely the... <laughs> yeah with the bubbles um, uh, we had a, a bear hugger uh, a full spectrum of, of um, drugs kept in the uh, any of the control drugs kept up in, in, the, in the captain's safe so initially on arrival, having to do uh, an inventory to make sure that everything that we should have had, we did have. 
and anything that was out of date, replacing and changing in the Falkland Islands before we uh, before we left for our journey. And then after the six weeks when we came back to the Falklands to change scientists, then anything that we'd use kind of uh, replenishing it. But luckily, we only got to use uh, basic things, you know, uh, a bag of fluid, uh, lots of um, strepsil seems to be a thing. Um, lots of people kind of kind of. Uh, nagging kind of um, throat complaints but uh, luckily nothing uh, too serious we end up getting involved in um, uh, an evacuation from um, uh, one of the islands but um, luckily that all all, all turned out well so um, it was definitely an interesting experience So what was your evac plan, medevac for, for casualties? So uh, if we were out in the South Sandwich Islands or uh, South Georgia, any any of that region, you're kind of five days away from um, a helicopter. So the plan was to steam towards back towards the Falklands, in which time uh, uh, you, usually a military helicopter would have left the Falkland Islands and kind of met us out halfway, and they'd have winched our casualty from the uh, from our vessel. So we had um, lots and lots of drills. We did lots of stretcher drills with the crew. The um, the first day party were uh, were essentially the uh, the chefs and the the kitchen staff they they uh, really embraced it they they, they kind of got it that actually we are out in the middle of nowhere the water is super cold we're going to be a long way away so it's in our interest to be able to kind of help the medics actually it might be one of us so the uh, a lot of them had, had never done uh, defib training before so I did the whole um, British Heart Foundation um, first person on, on on scene kind of course with, with every single member of staff. I did the stop the bleed course with every single member of staff. So for so they kind of left with um, not only a bit more of an appreciation of yes, it can go wrong very quickly, but actually by doing the basics really, really well, actually they can do something about it. Because if you're five days away, that's you know we know that you know four to six minutes is enough time to to die. So if you've got that whole five day transit, at least if you can do something and doing the basics well, as as we know from all the data, is actually the bit that makes a difference and having that exposure to being in such a remote place when you come back and, and, and you're teaching on courses because you can kind of relate it for your students where you can give examples of and actually most of it comes down to the planning because the time to be looking for your closest Western equivalent hospital isn't kind of when it's gone wrong. You should be kind of have that plan in place and as you're transiting through the various evolutions of your uh, cruise, as they call it, um, then if it goes wrong here, this is the plan this is the hospital we're going to, this is who I need to speak to. And kind of having the, being sort of ahead of the curve on the plan without having to kind of start getting the plan out when you've got somebody really, really ill or injured in front of you. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely made me, definitely made me a better instructor on, on, the, on the course as well, because you've had that exposure to possibly, in, in my opinion, one of the, the remotest places on the planet. Um, and it kind of, it, it makes it better for your students as well, because you can kind of, get over to them just how important it is that their role is and also the, the whole the preventative thing you know make sure that everyone does know how to do a basic airway maneuver everyone can stop a bleed by you know simple direct pressure everyone can apply a tourniquet that kind of thing so in that location the closest people are on the international space station isn't that right yeah at um at, at at some stages, when you're kind of out by the, the five of the the South Sandwich Islands themselves, it's uh, 
yeah, the closest inhabitants are on the International Space Station. Probably cheaper and easier to get you back from there, uh, <laughs> apparently. So, yeah, that's a that's a comforting mm-hmm. thought when it's a, it's just you sat on a vessel bobbing around in a kind of four seven four eight, um, having to try to trying to treat people. Um, it's and and there's nowhere to hide. You know, you can't you can't steam you know a couple hundred miles and hide mm-hmm. in a port because there are none. because there's nowhere to go. So it's uh, but the uh, the the staff that run the British Antarctic Survey vessels are just at the, the another level. I mean, you know, having worked in the North Sea, I thought the North Sea was rough, but it's got nothing on the Southern Ocean. Wow. And uh, of the of the thing of the twenty five scientists that were on the on the vessel, there was you know half a dozen of them had never been on any ship before. So for their first cruise to be in the Southern Ocean was uh, ballsy by wow. them. Uh, a couple of them were quite surprised by it. Uh, we ended up doing a lot of. Um, uh, Anti-emetic treatments, we'll say, um, and but we had uh, real success with uh, inhaled isopropyl alcohol swabs. I was, nice. I was I'd, I'd read a couple of papers before I went, and I was quite skeptical about it. I'm not, I'm not a great sailor myself. It takes me about three days to, to just about get myself right. Um, and I thought, do you know what? What's the worst that can happen? It, it's it's super cheap. It's low risk, and we had really, really good success. I personally had great success from it. The uh, I don't do so well with the with the patches behind your ears, the right. scopamine patches. Yeah, yeah. with a really really dry mouth, you lose your vision. Which if you're the only medic on board, to not have great vision is, is yeah, not you're a good losing thing. cool points. You go yeah, blind. you're losing yeah. cool points when you're trying to cannulate someone. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's that's your hand, not mine. Um, wow. Yeah, so we've uh, had the chance to do because I did get a lot of downtime to do an awful lot of kind of reading as well around the. Um, particularly the the kind of hypothermic side of life because that was obviously one of the one of the biggest risks especially because they were doing um uh, over the side work so they were dropping um multiple sensors into the water so there's always that risk that someone is going to go into the water and the the water temperature there is kind of just above freezing literally just above you know there's there's icebergs floating past you in the water um which is quite nice when we used to get a piece of uh, a piece of you know, a couple of million year old ice on the glacier, and then uh, we could, they could have that in your coke overnight, nice. which was uh, which was which was really nice. And it's the clearest blue ice you've ever wow. ever ever seen. You can't put it in your whiskey. But you can no, put it no, in your, to uh... dry ship. Yeah, <laughs> no, ab- absolutely dry. Apart from the uh, the, the the alcohol swabs, that was uh, that was the. That and was it. Luckily, the um, a lot of the scientists on board were were doing research with animals, so around. Um, uh, seabirds, whales, uh, penguins. So to be as an animal lover, to be able to get that close and be involved in the science, with, you know, and to, to be paid to go there, mm. it's uh, it's a bit of a dream come true, really. And they, the scientists are really, really keen to get you involved. Because once I've done my uh, morning clinic, done you know a bit of a stock check, clean the the hospital bay down, that was me kind of sat in my shorts watching James Bond films, eating Haribo, really. Um, <laughs> so uh, not that that's life. a bad thing. Yeah, tough life. Mm. Uh, but they, they were really keen to get you involved in the science as well. So, you know, putting sensors overboard. And at one stage, we had um, an ROV that was uh, looking at some uh, previously un- unresearched uh, parts of the seabed. And it was th- like 4,000 feet down. And to be able to sit in, in the cabin and watch those pictures of the, wow. uh, the monsters on the bottom was just yeah. another level. So, yeah. Wow. So, have you made it to all seven continents? Um, Australia and Australasia is the only uh, only continent that haven't kind of made that. I guess that counts as a as a continent. Yeah, but, um, yeah. It, um, that's the only part of the world I've I've not been to really. Hmm. But um, no, it's it, it's given me loads of opportunities for 
the travel um, across the various Tascans that have, have, have been on both um, military organisations, uh, both training and um, operational as um, a medic as well. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, a career that I never ever thought I'd, I'd get into. You know, I I did uh, I went to university through civil engineering. Um, the first the first company I started working for was a marine civil engineering company. So that put me down the route of kind of diving and the diver met as a diver engineer and diver to do inspections then oh you, you're a medic in the reserve so why don't you do your diver medics course and then oh actually we're looking at oil and gas why don't you go and do your offshore medics course so i, sh- I should have gone to med school really thinking mm-hmm. back but you kind of it's probably the, the most the most obscure way to get into um the role that i have but it's, it's kind of given me a lot of other other skills as well that i think it helps with the the medical side of things so we we definitely used your medical skills this week. You joined our faculty in teaching on the eye care course. Can you discuss your experience this week with teaching on the course? Yes, yeah, so um, the, the guys and girls that were on, on the course have previously done the um, online training, so they, they kind of come uh, prepared, and a lot of them were on the uh, master's course as well, so uh, some uh, really, really strong uh, clinicians and strong personalities as well. Uh, the good thing about that is that they all brought their own experiences as well, so we had, you know, um, a uh, a kind of uh, family healthcare doc that kind of when we're talking about assessing an abdomen from a kind of uh, ICU point of view, then we've got um, his experiences as well. So it was um, really good. So the idea behind the the kind of practical week is that it needs to be practical. So we'd start the start the morning with a kind of uh, brain warm up. So offer um, a uh, a uh, maybe an ultrasound scan or uh, a patient that has been received in, into your clinic and they, they kind of um, offer an opinion on what they think it is, the differential diagnosis, give them some more information. Then we'd break up into scenarios. So we'd have a patient on the table and then uh, between the three faculty, we had uh, a scenario each and then we kind of rotate round and that all culminated in the kind of outdoor scenarios where we had um, a everything from a kind of post-earthquake kind of crit curve where we had three severely injured casualties and they were all assessed, rescued, treated initially, then into the back of an ambulance for what was essentially in kind of ICU level transfer and then into a kind of impromptu uh, warehouse unit as, as, you know, as, as happens in an, in an earthquake. Um, it, it wasn't um, a, a clinic as such, but they, they kind of made it a clinic. So really, really good to see that over the kind of five days, the, the kind of step change that we had from uh, in, initially where they were kind of not a team, they were kind of six individuals. But by the end of the last day on the scenarios, you think that they kind of work together all of their life. You know, if you bear in mind that this isn't a bag that they're used to, uh, several different countries, so several different um, kind of SOPs and standards between them. But to, to see them go from kind of six individuals to a really good team and, you know, the, it was a different person in charge each, each time. Was um, really really good and doing you know, things uh, ultrasound vents, uh, the labs. So I had them doing um, staining and uh, using microscopes, uh, improvised centrifuges for doing hemocrit and all all kinds of austere things that you can do when you haven't got the uh, the luxury of being in um, a commercial lab. But it, it's still things that we can do. So we're recording this in Malta, and you you've have 
vast experiences in Malta. What what have you done here in the past? Um, so I've previously been here for uh, a couple of times working with the Fire and Civil Defence. So they uh, got us to come over and have a look at the systems for technical rescue, so uh, rope rescue. And we spent three weeks in various locations all over the all over the island, kind of doing them on the uh, international technical rescue association uh, level three uh, rope rescue course. So they, we had some. We ended up training up some to be rope rescue supervisors, but we trained everyone to be a rope rescue operator. Uh, they have a particular kind of issue around Malta. They have an awful lot of sea cliffs, so the fire and rescue service or fire and civil defence is the call. They kind of get involved in a lot of the rescues. Where we brought them over some uh, ultra modern kind of latest up-to-date equipment and we kind of brought them some new techniques as well the um we kind of try and try to emphasize that there is there's it's no good rescuing somebody if you don't do the med element first as well you know the, the, the two kinds of should go hand in hand so are you a true rescue if you can't access the person treat and stabilize them recover them and then get them onto further care that brings its own um issues when the transport system is, is kind of heavily trafficked at times, so you've got long transfer times from point of rescue to a place of definitive care, especially if you want on one of the outline islands like Gozo or uh, Camino, where they have an awful lot of tourists. Um, they have an awful lot of um, kind of uh, suicides from sea cliffs as well, and they're the kind of first point of contact for, for, for carrying out rescues and recovery. So I've kind of seen both sides of Malta from the technical rescue side of things and now from the, the medical side of things, but it's, it's a place I've been coming ever since I was a kid and as a diver, I've, I've, I've been coming here for many years. It's a beautiful part of the world, so to be able to uh, have the chance to come and uh, teach on, on courses in, in Malta, it's like uh, it's almost as good as going to Antarctica. <laughs> like Antarctica with one. sun, yeah. Yeah, Antarctica with sun. Yeah. 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 It's just started raining today, which is on it. I've never seen rain in Malta before, so. Yeah. Um what so to the listener who wants to get into what you're doing what advice do you have on how to learn more about osteo medicine and how to get more experience in osteo medicine so the the, the the kind of um the sort of medic that they're looking for is got to have that that, that ground in, in the kind of basics of pre-hospital care but then you also need that bolt onto the kind of austere and remote kind of element of it and be, because it is different, you know, you're not, normally people will have worked towards a, a right, well, we'll go to the patient's house, we'll, we'll do an assessment, you might speak to um, to some uh, top cover to maybe find a different pathway, but there might be, you know, a 10, 15 minute journey into hospital, whereas the, the kind of mindset that you've got to have is that it's actually, it is kind of just me, I'm going to have to do a little bit more investigation, so the back-to-back of whatever organization you're working for has got a better clue of what's actually going on and actually we can do a little bit more obviously we can't carry um, a mobile icu especially you know if you use the kind of rook truck and hook model that we can we can't use for kind of uh, prolonged field care but it's also kind of having that appreciation that kit selections really really important and there's there's uh there's a lot of courses that you can do whether you just want to do an initial kind of uh, kind of wilderness bias to, to your existing kind of medical qualification or you can do everything right up to um, uh, a full master's like we have in in, uh, in, in Malta and there's everything in between so uh, I care lots and lots of other d- different courses but it is it is definitely different and the, the kind of the organizations that want to employ you 
they will kind of look at uh, British Standard 8848 and that, that's kind of quite specific about for your level of expedition or remoteness of what sort of med- medical qualification your medic should have. So it's, 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 it's quite, um, it, it, it's quite a, a robust system and the, there are many courses out there that will, that will kind of tick that box to get you where according to the British Standard for um, medical cover for you know, everything from mineral exploration to uh, expeditions for younger people to uh, scientific research, it'll, it'll kind of uh, put you down the right path. Uh, appreciate that input. Um, as you guys can probably hear, we're, we are in Malta. There's lots of noises going by. There's no way to get uh, get out of that. But uh, this is uh, a great chance to, to interview uh, one of my guests face-to-face, which we don't get to do very often. And it's been a good week working with you, Phil. And yeah, I no, appreciate it's, your input. It's been, uh, it's been really, really good. The, uh, the students have been really really good the the locations ace have been coming here for years and the and the the course is really robust as well it's um it's kind of what was needed there is has been that that little gap between the kind of basic and the, this is kind of what's needed i think brilliant thank you for listening and we will see you next week This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. If you would like to earn CPD credit for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credits, free access to the virtual field guide, and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on the college website, which is quorum, C-O-R-O-M, quorum.org.